we study God's word at music camp and God commands us to sing as to let his word dwell in us richly in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. We're to worship him musically. We're to proclaim his word musically. And so we want to train up our, our students, our children, to be able to sing skillfully with music, to understand what they're doing. The Bible says sing with understanding. But it's all couched in studying God's word, growing up as Christian worshipers. The default in our culture today is to be a music consumer. We are conditioned by the age we live in and the technology we have to be people who listen to music and it's an important part of our life. But we have lost something that our forefathers knew, which was being active participants in music. It used to be if you wanted music, you had to make the music. And now we, we just press a button. But uh, these students uh, are learning through the course of their time at music camp, not to be music consumers, but to be active participants in making music. So not only to learn how to sing well, how to understand music as it's written on a page and how it comes together in a group environment, but to be able to take those experiences and have them be the seeds that are planted for their involvement their whole life in the musical life of the church. We want these students to be the next wave of worshipers in the church who know how to sing to God. Hey y'all, welcome to Cross Politics on the Fight, Laugh, Feast Network. Pastor Toby, Chuck Knox, I'm the water boy. It's good to be with you. And I'm gonna start giving a daily update on my chicken coop, okay? <laughs> oh no. Um, oh, we, no. We named our last chicken that's still alive, Katniss, because Oh, um, it, the, the chicken oh. made it through the Hunger Games. <laughs> my kids were like, yes, Katniss, yes, we're doing it. Oh, hey, my man. goodness. You know, you need to get rid of them chickens. <laughs> that chicken. You need to give up. <laughs> Throw in the towel, man. Oh, man. Let, let the chicken go. It's because uh. of people like you, they're going to be licensing folks to have chickens. Yeah. <laughs> right. It's like AI. We got to, you know, can we got to take care of the chickens. Yeah. License You're going to have to get a license. Yeah, they're going to have to yeah. take a test to make sure you can take care of it. Man. Not so long ago, the American dream was alive and well. Employees who worked hard were rewarded. It's and still alive at Cross Politics. It is. Uh, okay. and, and at Red Balloon. Yes. And employers look for people who could do the job, not for people who have the right political views. Redballoon.work is a job site committed to getting us back to what made American businesses successful. Free speech, hard work. Cheap labor. And I'm having fun. My bad. I got excited like I own a company and or something. If you're a free speech employer who wants to hire employees who focus on their work and not identity politics, then post a job on redballoon.work. If you're an employee who's being censored at work, being forced to comply with the current zeitgeist, post your resume on redballoon.work and look for a new job. Redballoon.work, the job site where free speech is still alive. Redballoon.work. By the way, CrossPolitik is hiring. We're looking for a contracted sort of. sort of. journalist. <laughs> Knox is like, wait. Wait, no, we are? <laughs> sort of. Oh. I, I just read whatever they put in front of me. Like, oh, mm. by the way. I mean, our producers we're looking for somebody to replace Chocolate Knox. Mm. Who would like... No, <laughs> Good luck! <laughs> and manage Gabe's chicken coop. Uh, we're looking for a contracted journalist who would like to work alongside Cross Politics to further our mission to cover politics to the glory of God. This position, while unpaid, 
uh, offers a meaningful opportunity for exposure for journalists who want to write from a biblical worldview. Mm. So if you're mm. motivated, capable writer who's not afraid to take some risks, we would love to interview you. In this position, you would write one or two pieces of quality journalism for Fight, Laugh, Feast per month. Uh, and maybe even occasionally get asked to come talk to show? us. You know, you got to be yeah. real nosy, too. We want uh, nosy. Uh, t- just for the record, we're not looking to replace Chocolate Knox at all. Yeah. Never. Oh. I would be first on but that chocolate. But we are Hands looking down. Hands down. Hands down. <laughs> <laughs> the way you took that, keep those chickens. Yeah. <laughs> but we are looking for someone to take Gabe's chickens. Yes. Um, we no. are very grateful to have with us Senator Scott Herndon yeah. uh, from Sandpoint, Idaho. What district is he in? I don't, number one. Oh, of course. Number one. He's, at the, top, he's at the top of the chimney. Number one. Does, yeah. does your district go all the way to the Canadian border? Yeah, I'm the only guy in the legislature in the Senate that has an international border. So Ooh. I say build the wall. <laughs> <laughs> We've actually got some Canadians in the studio today, Scott. Oh, that's and, true. And they're, <laughs> yeah. they're, and they're very pleased. They're, they're, not, they're not offended at all. I don't no. know. The guys that are Thanks. fleeing from Canada, Scott, we might want them here. So... <laughs> Yeah. You know, he didn't yeah. say which wall. He just said <laughs> build the wall. It's, it's a one-way wall. <laughs> Scott, um, we uh, really appreciate your service. I, that's to build a wall on the Washington state line. That's all I was talking about. Yeah. That's right. That's right. Yes. Fair Keep enough. them out. Fair yeah. enough. I agree. Yeah, yeah. Fair enough. Um, well, thanks for coming back on Cross Politics, first of all. Yeah. Always appreciate having you. Um, and thank you for your service to our state, uh, yeah. to your district. I know you're, you're doing um, lots of work down there. He's providing for a family. Yeah. He has a, his own construction company up in North Idaho, <laughs> and he's running, and he's doing le- three months of legislative session yeah. practically. So, um, wow. Just yeah. wanted to start off with asking you, could you give us a little bit of an overview um, of how the Idaho legislative session has been going? Um, in your mind, um, smiling. What what are the highlights? <laughs> what are the highlights? What are the high points? Are if, there highlights? Well, I don't know. Or the low points. Okay. What are, What are the things that you think are most important for yeah. um, you know thinking conservative Christians to know that you know that that are engaged politically, who care about the state of our nation, who care about the state of Idaho and and Christian freedom. Yeah. Um, yeah. Those people who elected you. Yeah. What What uh, <laughs> What do we need to know about what's been going on in Boise this session? Well, let's start with where we are in the process. So number one, we started the session January 9th. The goal at the beginning was to finish by March 24th. And I didn't know this until I got down here that the legislative session is really designed around the budgeting process. So that timeline is how long they think it would take to basically develop 108 budgets and all of the supplementals, which is additional money that the agencies want to spend and basically work through all those numbers get them to both sides of the rotunda, tunda, Senate and House, and get those budgets passed. And then policy is what happens in between. So the budget process is what drives the calendar. Mm. And then policy is what gets done in between. And of course, policy, well, we care about both. So we've got some good conservatives in the legislature this year. So I'd say the biggest thing that people want, probably would want to know versus what it's been like, especially if they've paid attention in previous years, is that things are very different this year. So the Senate which would never pass anything conservative previous to this year. And I always had an impression that they would just hold up good policy, especially policy that the church should care about. This year, almost everything that we want to do has some path forward. We're going to be able to get pretty much anything to the floor to get discussed, debated on, and voted on. And an example of that was just yesterday, we got the education savings account built to the floor. It got debated on, it got voted on, it got killed on the Senate floor. but. That had a lot of good policy discussion yesterday. If you're a policy wonk related to education, 
then you probably want to go back and look at that hour and a half debate yesterday because a lot of great points were made, at least from our side they were. Uh, but that's something really key to know is that we're actually able to move policy forward this year. But there is that battle, too, between the House and the Senate, and it's almost flipped this year. We'll get stuff passed in the Senate, and I don't know that I see a path forward in the House. So interesting. the House, especially the Education Committee, is a great example. I'm on the Senate Education Committee. Every Christian should care about what's going on in education. And over there, if we pass a good policy here, I'm not sure that I see a path of it going forward over there. So mm. that's where we are. We got four weeks technically left. So now we're going to get to real cram time where you're going to see a lot of really bad bills that we have to kill. We actually killed a bill on the floor today. I found a major flaw in the policy last night. And as soon as we were having six people, I think, debated against the bill, it had to do with qualifications for your county sheriff. In other words, who can be in the office of county sheriff. Hmm. It was a really bad bill. Once I identified some serious constitutional problems and related it to people I know in the state, almost immediately that bill was killed. It was wow. actually pulled and returned to committee. That kind of stuff's going to have to happen a lot here over the next four weeks. There's going to be stuff we got to kill and stuff we got to pass. Wait, I, I'm intrigued by the sheriff thing. What were the qualifications that they were trying to propose that we have to have in order to have a sheriff? Well, we already have in the Idaho Constitution, and apparently nobody seemed to really notice this before we got it to the floor. I don't know who. The Idaho Sheriff's Association was the one that really wanted to drive this thing. What they wanted to do was create two new requirements for sheriff. Before, you only had to be 21. You had to be a U.S. citizen, and you had to live in your county for one year before you get elected. In the Idaho Constitution, if you had a felony conviction that basically hadn't restored your civil rights, in other words, it hadn't been expunged and restored your civil rights, you couldn't serve as sheriff. They were going to change and add one first requirement was that if you get convicted of a crime that would serve either time in the state penitentiary or the federal penitentiary, then you would be ineligible. But think about this. What they didn't account for is that, number one, it wasn't a felony crime because there are misdemeanors at the federal level that you could serve time for. So now all of a sudden you're not going to be eligible to serve as sheriff for a misdemeanor. But also, what if you're like Todd Angle, who's from my district, you got convicted, the Ninth Circuit threw it out. So your conviction was thrown out, but there was the, the language of the bill would not allow him to serve. What if you got pardoned? What if you were acting in the role of a constitutional sheriff and the legislature had asked you to defy the federal government? The federal government charges you for doing what we Sorry. want you to do. This language, they could have convicted you at the federal level for doing what we want you to do. And now you're no longer eligible eligible to be a sheriff here in Idaho. Yeah. There were just all kinds of problems with this bill wow. that apparently nobody noticed until it got to the floor. And that's what I included in my debate. Yeah. And it killed that bill in about five minutes flat. So that's that's really helpful, Scott. I, I, I've been watching just a little bit. You, you do some pretty regular videos. I haven't caught yeah. them all. Thank you, by the uh, way, for doing I that. But I really do appreciate it. And uh, and those of you that are, are watching or listening, um, find um, Scott Herndon on, on uh, Twitter. Um, he's giving regular updates on um, on the process. Can I say something else, too? Yeah. Don't just watch the videos. Like the videos. Yeah, share yeah. the videos. Yeah. This is very helpful. But the one, I, the thing I wanted to ask you about, though, was the ESA bill. that um, I, I, I was actually surprised. Here's my... My abolitionist friend, 
uh, who's, you know, it, we have to abolish it. Nothing else will do, which I, I, I respect, even though I, I respectfully differ. Um, although I, I, I do want abortion ended. Absolutely. Um, sure. But, um, it, you know, it, I was sort of surprised because I sort of felt like the tables had turned a little bit when I heard that you were, you know, saying, hey, guys. Incrementalists. Don't, yeah, don't worry about the ESA bill. Um, we're, we're gonna we're, we're we're slowly you know we're gonna slowly change things on education um and I and I've been I've I've been very very worried about I, I read the Arizona bill that got passed that everyone's kind of celebrating and um and I came away pretty convinced that it was a massive mistake um the Arizona bill because it's it massively increased education funding and basically every time you you get a new student that takes an ESA more money gets pumped into the the regular public schools it's not dismantling the public education system. It's actually propping it up. I know the Idaho bill that was proposed is a little bit different, but help me understand what, um, I mean, I, I believe we're probably roughly on the same page in terms of broadly wanting to give, I totally want school choice. I, st- I totally want, I, you know, ultimately I want to be able to keep my property tax money and spend it on the education I think is best for my kids. Um, but t- uh, talk me into this being the way forward. Okay. Yeah. So, the problem with education really goes all the way back to the mid-1800s. I mean, if you go back to Horace Mann and you look at how the education system was designed in America, right. it, when we like to laud the founding fathers and the people who started early on, a lot of the problems we're facing today were created by people almost 200 years ago, 175 years ago mm-hmm. in America. They designed a monopolistic state-run system so that by the time we ratified our Constitution for Idaho in 1890, America was already used to centralized government run education. Mm. And now here we are in in Idaho from 1890 to now, you've got 133 years of history. You've got the Idaho Education Association, the Idaho School Boards Association, the State Board of Education dominate the education scene. And when people think of education, they think of this monopolistic state run governmental system. And that's what we got. Right. And unfortunately, I say unfortunately, they put in our Idaho Constitution an absolute constitutional requirement that we, the legislature, have the duty to provide for a system of free common public schools. It has to be uniform. It has to be thorough. And it's called a system. And this is one of the things I brought up on the floor yesterday. So here we have this constitutional responsibility. You have all these people that are now dependent on this monopoly system run by the government. And how do you change education in Idaho when you have 130 years of history in this constitutional requirement? And when I am not an incrementalist on the abolition of child sacrifice, things that we are constitutionally tied to that are not a, an absolute moral issue like imminent danger moral issue, although you could argue this has been for 130 years, yeah. that is going to have to be dismantled piece by piece. So the way I looked at the ESA is it was going to put a chink in the government-run monopoly, and it definitely had sideboards on it. It wasn't like Arizona's. It was designed to have a very limited effect because JFAC, which I'm also on, which is the Finance and Appropriations Committee, so we spent all the money, and we would put the sideboards on how much that thing would be. But it was basically meant to create competition for the government-run monopoly for students who can't create or their parents up to now have not created competition themselves because there are parents now doing that. I'm a homeschooling dad. There are people at House of the Lord private school up where I live near in Old Town has hundreds of students whose parents are already sacrificing and paying 
for their education in a Christian environment. So clearly, people are already doing this, but there are people that are not able to do that. And that's who this was designed to help without dismantling the government-run monopoly overnight. I mean, that's not going to happen. It's, it's impossible if you look at the forces that are at work here. So what can we do right. and operate in this constitutional space? And that's what this ESA, ESA bill is designed to try to do. So what was the specifics of the ESA bill? It wasn't like Arizona where it was it's funding more public school. What was what was the specifics of this ESA bill here in Idaho? Okay, so this would be a new governmental appropriation and what it was designed to do. So I, I always frame it this way. I'll grab a piece of paper. This will help. I'll grab two. Okay, so this is the governmental pie, if I could just call that. That's our governmental pie for public education right now. That thing is $3 billion. And right now there's 300,000 students participating in that pie in wow. Idaho. There are 327,000 students in the state of Idaho that are K through 12 right now. But a lot of those are homeschool and private school. I think 20,000 are private schooled and 7,000 are homeschooled, whatever the number is, because we don't register homeschoolers. So I don't know exactly what it is. This ESA was going to say, here's the $3 billion we're spending here. We're going to create a new little bucket of money, this little pie right here. And you have to, if you're a student in this pie and you want to participate in this pie, which is curriculum, tuition, private school, tutors, then you have to leave this pie. So the student exits this system to go participate in this new system. And, and I argued yesterday that when the Constitution talks about a system, I used an example of a railroad system. It's not just Union Pacific. It's the whole interconnected parts, which for us is not just the 300,000 participating in charter and public schools, but it's all 327,000. If you want uniformity and if you want to fulfill the constitutional mandate, you got to provide an opportunity for all of them. Now, as a homeschooling parent, I wouldn't participate. But basically, that's we're talking about getting people out of the public system to participate in something else. That's mm-hmm. the goal of this. And so, then to show that there's a, another path. So that other smaller pie that you uh, a video you demonstrated on video, um, that's a just a separate funding stream that would go to those who opted out of the public school system and they would get yep. X amount of dollars to, to go to the schooling of their choice, homeschool, uh, Christian school, whatever. What was that? How much money does a, a parent get if their kid opts out of the public school system? So if their kid opts out of this pie, then over in this pie, what would be available for them is $5,950 approximately, which is half of what we're spending on a student in this pie right now. So right now we're spending about $12,000 on a student in that pie. And if we have them go over to this pie, we'd spend half that, $6,000. And we'd also incentivize them over in that pie that if they spent in any given year less than that $6,000, then that additional amount, the amount they save, would roll over and be available in a future year. So it basically incentivizes being efficient with your money as you use it over in that pie. Now, what, Scott, what, what I, would you say? I, to, I, go, you want to you you, get you it? You okay. the last I, three questions. I, I, oh, I just had one it, question. It's not just you and Scott. <laughs> it's all one long We're, question. There are three of us here, and we want to ask questions. Okay, okay. the wolf get is in. killing your chickens. No, <laughs> go ahead. Did you have a question? Go ahead, Pastor. Uh, I, I just want to ask, what... Um, What's one of the major objections that you ran into? Um, I mean, this is a Republican-dominated Senate. It was killed yesterday um, <laughs> so, sorry. By, by Republicans. Um, 
And um, what are the major objections you ran into? And I, I guess but then just the, the follow-up question is, is why is it so hard to simply argue for freedom of choice when it comes to education? I, 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 part of me just thinks like the libertarian sort of instinct in a lot of Idahoans of just like, let me do my own thing, even though I think there's sometimes problems with that as a Christian. Like, why doesn't that free market, free choice thing just win easily where it's like, look, I shouldn't have to pay for things I don't want to do with my kids. You're taking money from me, and then I'm paying a second tuition for all my kids at our local Christian school. Why doesn't it – What I mean, so what are their major objections, and why doesn't the basic freedom of choice argument work? Well, so one of the major objections yesterday, if I hold that pie back up again, so there's my new pie. And one of the major objections is, is when we put money over in this pie, what about accountability? So that was the question they asked. Well, here's the weird thing. When I think of accountability, because it's taxpayer money, by the way, they like to say things like it's public money. What is public money? Public money is yours and my money. It's everybody watching this program. If you pay a sales tax, that's the money we're talking about. If you pay income tax, that's the money we're talking about. So it's our money. And so we are down here, we're trustees, we're fiduciaries of your money and how that gets spent. Mm. So they're saying, hey, look, if I put, if we send money to this pie, then how do I hold it accountable? Well, here's the trick. To me, accountability is I want to see performance. In other words, if I put money into a student, when I think of accountability, I want to see that that student accomplishes the goals of learning. Right now, here's the public education pie again. This is that $3 billion. Did you know there's no accountability for this? In fact, <laughs> right. the, the, the reading proficiency in the state of Idaho right now for eighth graders is 32%. I have eight homeschooled children that I've homeschooled. And if only two and a half of them could read proficiently, I would be a major failure. I would fire myself. <laughs> that is totally unacceptable performance. Right. Wow. Yeah. But, you know, these guys will say, well, we've got to have, you know, we got to have accountability for this new pie. I'm like, you don't have any accountability for this pie. And in fact, when the students fail over in this pie, you know what the solution is? Give Give them them more money. money. Yes. Give them more money. (laughs) When public schools fail, what you do is you give them more money. So, Scott, this is my question. So that small part of the pie, there doesn't seem like or is there any regulations inside of that part of the pie? So it's like, you no, know, fact, and so all the homeschoolers, and this was another thing that happened. All the homeschoolers freaked out because we were going to have this new pie that, by the way, they were going to be eligible for. Because when you create an opportunity, you don't say, well, we're going to create a new opportunity and only 10 students in the state get to participate. Like, that's not fair. To me, universal, and this is the aspect of universal ESA, is you make it available to all 327,000 students in the K that <laughs> exist in the state, K through 12. Well, the homeschoolers freaked out, but the bill very clearly did not grant the government any control. In fact, it prohibited mm. government control over curriculum, over the, over what you're teaching, over your creed, over your doctrines. All of that, the government could not touch. And the homeschoolers said, yeah, but but if you do this now, then they're going to want to infringe on that in the future. And my point was, if you don't create this pie now, there's still people in this building that want to infringe on your right yeah. to practice your religion and teach your kids what you want to teach them. They're here today. They would pass infringements on you today. So we can pass this bill and we can have this new pie. 
and you can participate and the government can't control it. And I will still be down here on duty, making sure that the government never controls you when you homeschool, I, I, whether or not you participate. I think that's, I think that's the part that gets me really nervous, Scott. Yeah. I, actually, I mean, I, yeah. I mean, I, I mean, I, I get the point and I, and I, and I've, I've toyed with the idea. Okay. Can you break out the, you know, can you break the monopoly and can you sort of try to break it out? But I think the thing that really does make me nervous is that, is, is that very point that you, that, that the homeschoolers were raising with is you the is the camel's it, nose under this is, is once you start taking the money, um, how, how do you how do you turn that off? How, I mean, whoever gives you the money, ultimately, they, they have the power. They have the control. Um, and I and I that's that's what makes me nervous. But I, I, get, I still actually wanted to hear your, your answer to my other question about why. Why can't the argument just be what I want to be free to educate my children? I want uh, the freedom of choice. Why, why is that so hard to win? Like, let the state do their public education program like it says in the Constitution. Fine. Let them do it for anybody who wants to. And anyone who wants to use it, then their property taxes should pay for it. That, that's how free markets work. You pay for what you use. And the government still, you know, the, the state is still abiding by the constitutional requirement, even though we wish it wasn't there. But the rest of us who don't want to use it, why can't we just be free to keep our money and spend it on the education of our children as we see fit? Well, that'd be another option, right? So another option would say that those of us who have not been using it, I'd never used the government school system at all for 20, however many years. It's yeah. been a lot of years, yeah. decades now, for tons of kids that I think per kid by now, I've saved the government $250,000 per kid that wow. they would have had to spend 12000 a year yep. times 12 years, yep. $244,000 a kid times eight. Right. What is that? $2 million wow. I've saved the government. Had I put them in their system, the government would have spent $2 million on my family alone. Right. Now, you could say, you can make the argument, well, okay, so since Scott isn't participating, then maybe he should get, I don't know, a tax credit or, I, you know, I'm yeah. saying there's multiple options here. I will tell you on that camel's nose under the tent. Well, the camel's nose is already under the tent because right now we have a program that we're spending $30 million on called Empowering Parents. And two point, it's giving micro grants to every eligible student in the state. And almost 900 homeschool kids have participated in that this year alone. 2.6% of the participation rate is in empowering parents from homeschoolers right now. Yeah. I want to add a constitutional amendment, which we don't have. We don't have constitutional protection of homeschooling and complete freedom in homeschooling. And I actually am having that drafted this week. I think it has something we should try to get done. If we don't have enough time this session, pass it next session. It will be on the November 2024 ballot. And we basically put guaranteed homeschool freedom in the Idaho Constitution because that's the only way you're going to have safety in homeschooling. We've got to get it clearly yeah. in the Idaho Constitution. And it's not there right now. We're relying on statute. No, no, Scott, no, yeah, yeah, no, no, this is related to all no, this. No, that's why we got to stop because no. we're going to move on. We can do the next thing. We can do the next thing. Okay, we got, but, but and we don't I want to know, <laughs> why would you want to use... All right, and that's your mic. Your mic is gone because <laughs> oh, I said no and you're not listening. Oh, uh, so there's here's only the 50 other topics. Yeah, there's only 50. Yeah, and then we got a lot. So here's the deal, Scott. We have the sex ed bill. We have the drag queen bill. And we got the marriage bill. And we don't have time to get all three of them in here. From those three, which are the most? Imp which one is the most important to hit? Well, let's talk about the marriage license bill because that, that's my bill and it's going to be on the floor this week. And I actually think we're going to pass it out of the Senate 28 to 7 along party lines. That's my prediction right now. Okay. I don't think there's going to end up being a single Republican that votes against that. And <laughs> You're going to be surprised. Yeah, <laughs> I've done a lot of work on this one. No, this, I actually think the Republicans are all going to go for it. Okay. And the Democrats, frankly, should. 
but they think that they have to oppose it for some reason, but there's literally no good reason for them to oppose it. The state has no position granting permission for you to get married. It's just never been, it's not in scripture. It's not even in history. It's only in recent history. And marriage licensing was created in the United States in the late 1800s, primarily to prevent interracial marriage. And in Idaho, all the way through the 1960s, we had prohibitions on interracial marriage. And that's what the license was designed to do is to prohibit people, Incredible. certain people from getting married. And there's no good history in it. And there's no good reason to keep it. So that one, I hope to advance. I'm going to have to, you know, really do the work over in the house after we clear it from the Senate floor this week. But I think that can become law. I what, think that's a real prospect this year. What, and what does your marriage bill actually state? What is, what is the, what, what is, is it doing? What does it do? Yeah. So literally all it's doing right now is you have two people that are qualified to marry in the Idaho constitution and statute says it's a man and a woman, but nobody seems to pay attention to that anymore. We had 320 marriages in 2021 that were same sex marriages in the state of Idaho. But point mm -hmm. is you got two people eligible to marry right now. They go down to their County clerk's office and they get a grant of permission called a license. That's the first step in their process. And then they go find an officiant and that officiant looks at their license and then performs their marriage ceremony. And then he returns a marriage certificate to the county recorder and the county recorder files it and sends one to the state for vital statistics. And my bill will completely eliminate the license altogether. And all you'll have is you'll have your two qualified participants. They go get they go to their pastor. They get married. The after they're married, they he fills out a certificate. They sign it because it's a marriage contract that they're in, entering into. And then he returns a copy of the marriage certificate to the county recorder to file there. County recorder still sends it to the state. And I put it this way. You don't get a license to give birth right now. Why should you get a license to be married? You just get a birth certificate. You don't get a license to die from the state. You just die. And then we file a death certificate. So these are vital events that we don't need the state to be the grantor of permission. If they grant permission, theoretically, they could revoke permission. We don't want to ever put them in that situation. So this is a great bill for freedom. Scott, that's what it's about. Does does your marriage bill specify that it can it needs to be a man and a woman? My bill does not touch that language. So all I do is I change and I eliminate a whole chapter of Idaho code and everywhere the word license appears. And then I put a few more things onto the marriage certificate. And that's all I'm doing in the bill. So right now, statute already says it's a man and a woman. And so that's up to Idaho. If Idaho right. wants to enforce their own constitution, their own statute, they can. And if they want to roll over to the judiciary's interpretation of our own constitution and statute, well, I can't do anything about that. Got My it. duty is only to do what I can. Got it. Okay. Thank wow, you. Wow, Scott, that's interesting. I see what you're doing there. Scott, where can people follow what you're doing? Is it best to follow you on Twitter or website, newsletter? Where can people go to keep in contact with what you're doing? Twitter is the best one if you want to be up to date, because I usually post there, especially when stuff is happening fast. I, and I keep it short there. So if you want a quick snippet of what's going on, you can find me on Twitter at herndon 4 idaho But I also recommend you get my newsletter if you want a more in-depth dive. I try to do one once a week, so I'll be sending one out tonight. The way to get on my newsletter list, the easiest is to go to my campaign website, herndon 4 idahocom and that's F-O-R-Idaho.com. Wait on the homepage seven seconds, a pop-up box, enter your name, your email address, it will automatically sign you up. Can, can, can we do like five minutes? Yeah, can you got five more minutes, Scott? Yeah. All right. Okay.
backstage. If you're single, get married. If you're married, have you some kids. And if you have kids, go baptize them. Until tomorrow, love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. Go fight, laugh, and feast. And for you club members, we'll see you in the backstage. This is Cross Politics. Now you get to ask all the extra questions you wanted to ask. Home, it's where you build your legacy, where traditions are started, seeds are planted, meals are shared, and stories are told. We are Chris and Natalie Carpenter, owners of Story Real Estate, and our team of top agents helps people find homes in Moscow, Idaho, and around the country. Have you thought about a move? Contact us to get connected with a top agent who shares your values and puts your family first or reach out to us about our Moscow Relocation Guide. Wherever you're looking to go, we can help you find home. Call us at Story Real Estate or visit us at storyrealestate.com and start building your legacy. Putting off writing that proposal again? Yeah, we've been there. Proposal writing can be tough. It takes work. And if you're not careful, you can set up your company for failure. Well, that's where we come in. Smart Pricing Table is an innovative application that focuses on, well, the pricing table. Instead of a static document and constant back and forth, our platform creates interactive proposals that empower your prospects. Not sure if something is needed? Make it optional. Have complicated services that vary? Let your customer do the work with line item upsells. Have reoccurring services? Easy peasy. With Smart Pricing Table, you can create attractive proposals quickly. And our system is built for reuse, so you can get out of that hamster wheel. Give your customers choice and close deals quickly with Smart Pricing Table.